This is Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Today, we have a surprise guest hostess who you'll hear from in a minute. And we talk to our guest, Viola Lagat also known as Viola Cheptu Lagat, who you may know as recent second place woman at the 2021 New York City Marathon. And maybe you've heard of one of her many talented running siblings, Bernard Lagat. She takes us through her family's deep running roots, what her training is like, how she spends time between the U.S. and Kenya, and her journey from being a 1,500 meter runner to nearly beating the Olympic champion in her debut marathon. She also remembers her friend Agnes Tirop. Viola shares with us how close to home and ever-present gender-based violence, like what led to Agnes's murder, is in Kenya, and what she and other women are doing to help change things for the next generation. We're behind her all the way, and we can't wait to let you listen to Viola Lagat. Thanks for keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. Um, I am here with a guest host today. I have Marielle Hall on the podcast mic, replacing Alicia and Roisin, who are busy and or recovering from some sickness. So we hope to get them back soon. But I think everyone wants to hear from Marielle. So hello, thank you. And how are you doing? And tell us, give us a little life update. Yeah, I'm good. Happy to be here. I've been in Providence now for about three months, I want to say, which sounds crazy. Just time is moving very quickly. And it's been good. It's been nice to be back on the East Coast, a little closer to family. And it's been nice to kind of just, um, yeah, get to know the community here. I feel like Kurt has grown, you know, a, a nice little running community with um, some post-collegiate athletes and um, the Ray crew is here, you're here. Um, so it's been good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so where, where are you in your season right now? And what are you yes. thinking coming up? Or you guys might not know yet, but. Yeah. So right now, just kind of been building base, trying not to put uh, a time frame around when base season and think traditionally base, you think of, October, November, December, and then maybe get into some specific race phases. But I'm trying to be a little bit more gentle and generous with this base building phase and kind of just give it the time that it needs till I feel like I've kind of built a foundation that can last through the season. So, you know, that may take me into... January and and I won't get into some race specific things till February March um, so yeah right now I'm just kind of focus on mileage making sure the body is healthy kind of moving in the right way um, and hoping to do some um, you know maybe some indoor races and then some uh, maybe some races on the road in uh, in March yes I think that sounds right nice um and what else do we have going on? Usually in the catch-up, we like to talk about some races that just happened and some events 
that have um, been of interest in the running world. Um, Marielle, I don't know if you have any of these like on the tip of your tongue, but one of the ones that I can't stop thinking about, um, I think we kind of talked about it for like a minute the other day, was that world athletics study from the Olympics, the social media at the Olympics that said 87% of Twitter abuse during the Olympics was focused on female athletes. Um, and then they broke that down even further to like 29% of that was sexist comments, 26% of that was racist remarks. And it went, there was some other things in there. Um, what, did, like, did you see that study? And like, what did you think about that? Do you have any experiences there? Cause I know I did, <laughs> I saw yeah. that and I was like, oh yes. This checks out. Um, I mean, you introduced me to that stat and kind of just got spinning. We only had what, like 20 minutes worth of warm up time, but I feel like both of us were kind of fuming at, <laughs> at, at that um, data point and kind of just personal experience. But yeah, I mean, it's very troubling because I think we have been made to feel as if we have taken like a lot of huge leaps in women's sports, which we have. And I, I think that that sometimes we kind of forget some of the underlying issues that are still occurring, even though we, we have a lot more access, a lot more participation, you know, a lot more representation. But uh, yeah, I would just say troubling and is kind of things to combat it are outlets like this where you just have different types of people speaking on issues and getting news sources in different ways. I think that's hopefully, um, you know, can counteract some of the negative comments and misinformation, but yeah, not good. <laughs> not good. And I think it would be good to have, like, I want to talk to Ro and Alicia and some other runners and see if we can have like a little episode, maybe just talking about that and our experiences because yeah. I think it extends even beyond social media into like message board stuff and then you know you got to think there's threads to like what we're talking about with Viola at the end of her interview and some of the gendered violence that you're seeing against mm -hmm. women and it's like well if you can say it and then there's places where it's happening actual violence like the threads are there it's permitted so I don't know it's more serious than I think people give it credit for so I thought I thought that study was I'm glad they did it first of all um, mm -hmm. And I think it's highlighting a lot of issues. So I've, yeah. that's been like in my head a lot. That's why I brought that one up. Um, any exciting mm -hmm. race results? Anything interesting on you that you noticed over the last mm. month? I feel like you were just <laughs> a blur. in a world. Marathon season was, was, I think, just took over. So it's felt like we've kind of had a little bit of a dip. Yeah. Collegiate, cross country. Oh, yeah. NCAAs. What do you think um, of that? Yeah, I, I we we raced at Florida at Florida State before, so yeah. I'm familiar with the course, and I I that's like my type of cross country course. I was gonna say <laughs> in college, I would have loved racing there because yes, it's like a dirt road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was happy. I know there's always the big debate: true cross country versus. I don't know if that was considered a soft course, but in my mind, that's the kind of cross country I like. So it was exciting to see and. Um, yeah, just, I, it seems crazy to me how dominant uh, BYU as a program is, just seeing the changing guard of, you know, your traditional um, successful programs and, and seeing how that, you know, there's a lot of female coaches that are kind of dominating the landscape and uh, NC State and BYU. So yeah, yeah shout out Lori Hennes and Bill G. <laughs> 
Yeah. Good job, so ladies. That's been that's been yeah. And I I wouldn't have seen that as guessed that that was coming, kind of just this surgence of, of female coaches in the collegiate space. And it's been cool to see for sure. Yeah, that's definitely inspiring. I hope we get more women getting into the game. Um and then one more thing, we I forgot, we have a listener question, which we don't get very many of these. I wish Alicia was here to chime in. Um, I, sorry, this took so long to get back to you, but before we get to our Viola interview, which was so great, I want to answer Lisa, who emailed us when we asked for questions like many weeks ago. This was from November. Um, she wants to know, she's pregnant with her third baby and wants to know basically about running and core strength while pregnant. Um, which I would say I'm just learning that stuff now. So both Ro and Alicia, um, I ask them for advice and I maybe can have them chime in later, but we did do an episode with Celeste Goodson of ReCore Fitness. Um, and she's an expert in the, Lisa, you mentioned every time you go through a pregnancy, you feel like your core strength and stability and balance gets worse with, with each, um, pregnancy. So I don't know if you've heard of Celeste and Recore. It's a great resource. She actually has um, like online workout videos you can buy and she sells um, like splints you can use when you're running too. I know you said you're about the same uh, distant, like same number of weeks in as me. So I'll probably be buying one of those soon. So yes, um, if that helps Lisa, check out. It's like from season two, I believe. We'll we'll link it in the show notes and um Marielle, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know about? <laughs> well, we both work with um, Jess Dorrington, who also is really yeah. great. If you're in the, she's in the Portland area, um, and right. she is really expert at any pelvic floor related stuff. So yeah, that was going to be that's like my buzzword. I'm not, I don't know a lot, but I do know pelvic um, floor. <laughs> yes, that's important. <laughs> um, so yeah, just trying to. I feel like with anything, it's always just getting to know your body, always a lot of information out there, but trying to personalize it the best that you can. And, and then there are a few buzz things that I think if everyone worked on them, they feel better. Pelvic floor being one of them. Yes. So those are two recommendations we have. Um, Jess, Dorrington, or Celeste Goodson. Get on to the pelvic floor stuff. Um, okay, I think we can move on. We have kind of a longer interview with Viola. Um, Marielle, do you have anything anything come to mind you wanted to chat about before that? No, I think I'm just excited for everyone to hear from Viola. I think she just she had a lot of great race recall, um, a lot of um, just her progression in the sport and, and also just her feelings on some gender-based violence that um it has been has personally touched the running community but also kind of seems systemic in in kenya so to just hear her experience on that is just lots of good stuff coming so definitely get to the interview <laughs> yeah definitely without further um delay here is viola lagat and thanks for keeping track Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. Um, we're here today with Viola Lagat and guest host Marielle Hall. So this is a good episode. Um, and for those of you that don't know Viola, you probably just um, heard a big result from her. She was second at the New York City Marathon in her debut by only a few seconds. 
um, <laughs> and ran 222, almost broke the course record, and is it was a world championship and Olympian team Olympic team member for Team Kenya in the 1500 um, in 2015 and 2016. So she was a miler moving up. Um, Viola, we're really glad to have you here. And yeah, we'll just start with where are you and what are you doing? Like what part of your season are you in right now? Oh, thank you for having me, Molly. Um, right now, I'm just getting back to running. I had to take some time off because my legs were completely <laughs> done after New York and the long season because it's been a long time training for this marathon. So I'm just taking it easy, going easy, let's say five miles, four, depending on how I feel right now. And are yeah. you in, did you say, where are you in Tucson at the moment or where yeah. are you training? Yes, I'm in Tucson right now. Nice. Yes. <clears throat> so we know um, you have another runner in your family, Bernard Lagat, we all know, also lives in Tucson. But can you tell us a little bit about your family and how running has played a role in your family um, and what it was like growing up back in Kenya? Um, so growing up, I've just known <laughs> all of my siblings to be runners. And the more I grew up, the more I know more about where the running came from in my family. Like uh, during the funeral of Agnes Tirop, I met someone who told me uh, that he's my, he was my, sis, my older sister's coach. And he asked me, have you heard about me? Then I told him, yes, I've heard about you, but I, I had never seen you. And I didn't think I was ever going to meet you because I expected you to be a really, really old person and in the village somewhere. So he told me, so do you understand who started the running in your family? So I told him, yeah, my sister, Angeline. So Angeline is the first one in our family. And everyone talks about her as the best 3,000 three, uh, 3, runner back then during her time and she was she's also been that one person that i go to and she would be like hey i need you to run like this when you're on the track take quick steps on the turns and then uh, just long strides on the back stretch or um, the long stretch so i thought it was her and then the guy said no it's not your sister it is your mom so that was a shock to me because i've never known my mom to have been an athlete that you know anybody would know about I just knew that we had genes from my parents just not doing much really with running, but I guess she was a good athlete and she never talked about it. She hasn't talked to me about it. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, you know, when I go home, I need to ask my mom more about what she used to do because the guy told me that my mom was the best athlete. She was the, she's the reason why we are runners in my family is because of my mother. But my mother also used to tell me that my grandmother her mother now, uh, was also a good runner. And I, I knew that when I was young because when we would do something wrong and we run away from home, she would catch up with us. She would chase us down and catch us and bring <laughs> us back home. So I knew my grandmother probably had some running jeans in her. And my dad, of course, because I've had these talks with my dad and asked him, uh, did you do anything back then uh, with running? And he would tell me, you know, I would, uh, I would just run two, three K every before I start the day. So he had been really active with running. So I just thought maybe, you know what, it's from my grandmother and my dad and a little bit of my mom. Yeah. 
the running goes back to your parents, did they have race opportunities? Like were there local races? Cause that would have been what, when would that have been that they were running? Oh, my mom, she was born in 1950. So I would say no. Uh, back then when you were a girl, you were not even allowed to do any sports in the first place. And so, and she got married young. So I don't think she had any opportunities to do any. It's just that, you know, when she was young, she would probably just go for runs with friends and stuff like that. But then when she hit her puberty, she would be married off. Mm. And what region? Yeah. What region of oh, Kenya is this? Just so people Oh, it's have, in yeah. oh, Rift Valley. That's where yeah. she's from. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you talked a little, well, that is your, your biological family, but maybe talk to us a little about the family that you've grown in Tucson and Arizona. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. that's where you're based out of. Um, yeah. Who are you training with on a daily basis? Like, who do you spend time with? What's the community like there? Uh, so basically, I spend most of my time with my family. Uh, I'm really close with uh, all of my siblings. So most of my runs, I would do them alone now because I'm just trying to get back to running. But mm-hmm. when I'm back in shape, I could jump on the run with my brother or some of his training mates who are a little bit younger and can, you know, go easier with me when my brother is going too fast. So I have a small support group here in two sort of family and a few friends. So it's been great. But I do a lot of my running in Kenya, especially when I'm preparing for a big race like um, like New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were in Kenya before or yeah. your New York build up? Yes, I was in Kenya from July until when I went to New York to race the marathon. Hmm. Yeah, we'd yeah. love to hear more about the build-up to your first marathon because it went so well, and we know you as a miler. Like, <laughs> we always see you in the 1500, so can you talk to us about the shift and um, when you made that choice to move up? Uh, so it just really started uh, in a way that I, I, I look back at it and I say, you know, maybe it was a blessing. I, I got an injury after Olympics in 2016 and it started just with a minor thing. I felt something pulling on the bottom of my foot and I was just running weird. It just started getting painful every day. Every step that I took was painful. And then it went up to my shin and I felt like I was getting a knot on my shin. And then I started, I just wanted to get back to running because, you know, you were just an Olympian. And so you want to do even better the next year after that. So I, I was I was just not focusing on what was happening. I was just thinking about making a team to world championship and probably running even better than the Olympics because now I have the experience. So that shifted from my foot to my hip and then from my hip to my lower back. And then, you know, it just became a big thing that, It just ended everything in 2017. So 2018, I was out of the whole of 2017. And then 2018, I started running. I went back to Kenya. First of all, this is what happened. I went back to Kenya and my coach now uh, told me I met I met his wife and she told me, you know what? You can jump on our runs. I'm just getting back from having a baby. I'm not even that fast. I can run with you on, on my easy day, on your easy days and we'll see what happens. So I just ran with her and she is a marathon. And um, the more I got to know about my coach, he told me, you know what? I think you can just do, you know what? Let me tell you what to do. Do 15K today. And for me, 15K as a 1500 runner was a long run (laughs) so he thought that was my easy run and I I was like you know what I've never done a 15k for an easy run it's a long run for me 
So he's like, yeah, because you're going easy and you know, I want you to recover and just let your body get used to the mileage. Just do that. And then in 2019, I was completely um, healed and everything was good. I was feeling great. He told me, you know what? I want you to try a 5K or a 10K because, you know, I the way I've watched you run on the track, you are not even a 1500 runner. You can do 10K or five. Then he convinced me, trained me, and then he, uh, he entered me in the Berlin 10K road race. And I went there and I won it. And, you know, I couldn't believe it because I knew myself as a miler. I didn't think of myself even as a 5K athlete. Mariel can say this. I would run with her on tracks and I'm just way behind. I don't want to be anywhere in front, you know? Yeah. But so I do after remember running, there. Oh, yeah. sorry. I don't want to cut you off. But I feel like yeah. there have been rumblings of people around you encouraging you to do longer, yeah. longer distances. Yes. Um, what, what changed between those earlier people and your coach now that made you kind of go for it and in some of the longer stuff? I, I think he was more uh, with the with the race that I did in Berlin. I think that just made me feel comfortable. And at, at that point, I was just desperate to get back to running and anything that came, I was willing to do because I just missed running. So when that opportunity for me to run the 10K in Berlin came, I told my coach, you know what? I don't like the 10K anyways, because I have never been a, <laughs> a long distance athlete. So I'm going to do it anyway, because I just want to feel you know, that feeling when you get when you're back to running. So I went there and I felt great and ran really well in that 10K. I even won that race and ran and still ran, was it 30, 50 something? It shocked me and my coach too, because I thought I was going to run like 32 or something like that. And then I, after Berlin, I came to US and I ran the 10K in Phoenix and still I had a PB there and won that race. So my coach called me and he said, Viola, what did I tell you? You are not even a 1500 runner. You are a 10K or a five on the track. So that's how it started. And then, you know, and then he said, if I tell you in a year, you're going to be running a half marathon, what would you say? I told him that is a crazy idea. I, I think you're just, <laughs> you're, you're going too fast, slow down. And he said, okay, we'll find out next day in February, you're going to be running. And I thought he was joking. So at this point I was, um, I had moved to Kenya, to you know what to train with him because I felt good and I felt like I was transitioning to road races so I speak with my old former coach uh, James Lee who was also my brother's coach and I told him you know what coach Lee I think I want to try something new uh, I love training with you in the 1500 but would you be okay with me training with Julian just for one year if things don't work out I'll come back and we'll find out it will find out a way to just uh, get me to run good 10Ks. Then he told me, Viola, you have my blessings. Go to Kenya. Uh, I know you enjoy being there also with your husband now. So go ahead and train. So I went there, trained, came back in 2019, still running good. And uh, actually 2020, coach told me, you know, we are going to Napoli to do the half marathon. And I went there and he said, I know you're not going to run slower than 68. To me, I'm thinking it of someone like you molly who <laughs> i've always admired and you know what that time is crazy you know so i told coach there is no way there's no way I'm, I'm running 68 if i'm gonna run really good it's gonna be around 70 and he said okay i know i've coached you the amount of training that you have done and what you you've been able to handle in training is good enough to make you run really good in that race so i went there felt great 
still won that race, ran my best time ever, 66 in half marathon. From there on, I didn't even question my coach. Whatever he would tell me, I said yes. And so he, the next after that, he said, okay, next year, we are also going to do a marathon. Are you open to that? I said, you know what? I have learned to trust you because everything that you've told me has just worked out the way you've told me. So coming to New York, it was um, easy for me because I trusted the training that my coach was going to give me would make me run a good marathon. So we since then, we just went back to the drawing board. What can we handle? We started week by week, uh, what my body could handle in a week and then the next week like that. And I'm really happy because during this training or build-up process for the marathon, my body was able to handle every single one of the training that my coach gave me. So I didn't really have any issues. I was really lucky. And knock on wood, I, want, I am hoping that everything continues for the future races. Yeah. I feel like you yeah. have a winning formula. It sounds like <laughs> <trash>. <laughs> Yeah. Family. So- Yes, you've got it. You've got a good, a good yeah. thing going. So. Let's mm. let's talk about like going back and forth to Kenya because mm-hmm. the way you have to do it. So Viola, you're still a Kenyan citizen, so you can't yes. actually stay in the U.S. past a certain amount of months, right? Like yes. I know my yes. husband is Canadian, and so before yes. we got married, he had to you know do the visa stuff. Um, yes. So how much time like do you spend here? How much time do you spend at home and? Um, like, tell us about your husband. Is he a runner too? And is he Kenyan also? <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Let me start with the, what do I start? Oh, okay. I'll start with the first question, the visa or the green card. So I have to be in the U.S. for at least six months every year. It doesn't have to be six months the whole time. I can break it break it out down to maybe two here, one there. As long as I'm here for six months, it's good. So I would go to Kenya, especially for the last three months towards a race. I would go there and stay for three months preparing for a race and then go for competition. And then I would come to U.S. like now on my downtime. I would come spend the one month or two and a half. And then, you know what, go back to Kenya, prepare for something else, race, and then come back to the U.S., do another three. And then that's how I make up six months every year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's um it's been working out really well. And it has been really great to have the opportunity. You know, the green card has allowed me to travel back and forth to get to races in the U.S. without any problems with visa and stuff like that. And for me to have ran that 10K in in New York, I was actually invited to that in 2019. And a lot of people didn't get the visa because of COVID. So Green Card has been a blessing for me because I could come back to U.S. and race because I'm a a permanent resident here. Oh, nice. And Yeah. So about my husband, he's Kenyan. Uh, he's right now he's in he's still in Kenya uh, his paperwork is still in process we are still hoping that everything will go fast so that he can join me when I'm here and uh, he's not a runner nobody ran in his family but he loves running when I met him um, we grew up together first of all and I we used to think we were relatives because our parents were really good friends so I, I used to think we were cousins. <laughs> so no one talked about it until when my brother was getting married, his dad was introduced as a family friend. And that's how I knew, oh, we are actually not related. And um, he's a good man and he's been really supportive of me and my career. And it's been nice. We run on my easy days with him. He has come to love running and he's very supportive of me. 
Mm, love that. Love that. Turning non-runners into runners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very common in our community. Yes. <laughs> a lot of crossovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And fingers crossed for visas and green cards. Yes. And hope yes. we can sort that out soon. Yeah. yeah. Viola, I always like to ask the nerdy training questions. So, yeah. like, how much mileage were you doing back when you were doing um, your 1500s and 800s? And then how big of a jump did you have to make? Like, what did you do as an average for training for New York? Oh, average week would be 100 miles. But when I was 1500, to be honest, the highest I ever did was 60. And at the end of that season, I felt like I was worn out. But my good season where I wasn't feeling worn out was 50. So jumping from, you know, 50 <laughs> to 100 was a lot. And I, I think some of the weeks were even over 100. I, I can't even count the, because the, I double in Kenya. I do, let's say, for example, on Mondays, I would do easy 18K in the morning. And then another one in the evening, 10K or 8K, depending on what I'm going to have the next day. And then the next day I would have, let's say for a track workout, I would do anything from 12 to 14K on the track and then evening run 8 to 10. So just like that. And then on a Friday, I would do just one run 20K and then a long run Saturday if it's a 30K helicos or a 40K. So depending. But my average, 100, not less than 100 a week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sounds like yeah. those those workout days are big days for yeah yeah oh two. yeah yeah most mm-hmm. of my workouts were actually longer stuff i don't remember the day when i did anything i think the one day that i did something short was 800s on the track but it wasn't just all 800 so it was a breakdown let's say from 2000 to ending with let's say 800 for, to just get the legs rolling so that was the shortest thing i ever did but i would go up to 3k on the track so <laughs> yeah it was a lot and the first time my coach told me to do 2K times seven, I just looked at him like, do you want me to do 14K on the track? <laughs> <laughs> but I think because of the mileage that we did, it allowed me to feel good on those track workouts. And they were not too fast either. But looking back at it, it, it actually contributed a lot to how I ran in New York because my long runs were hard and hilly. And, and plus the altitude also, that was, it made it really tough. There were days that I would go to this hilly course in Kenya, in a tent, and I almost told the guys to slow down or we could jog. I, I, one day I was like, guys, I just feel like walking, but I, I think it's wrong for me to walk. <laughs> I, just, I just have to keep going. <laughs> yeah, so it was good. It, it, it let me, allowed me to run those uh, truck workouts and felt great. Yeah. We've all been there wanting to walk. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they also wanted to walk. There were days that they were like, we finished and they're like, I want to die. And I'm like, what do you mean? I thought you guys felt good. You didn't show any signs. And they're like, Viola, as a guy, you don't want to show any. No one wants to admit it. No one wants to admit it. But like usually half the people are tired. (laughs) Yeah, especially when you're helping a woman, you don't want to be the one being passed by a lady, you know. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us a little bit about race day? Like, for New York mm-hmm. City. So you looked great. I was there on the sidelines watching um, and you just hung on, hung on, hung on until the very last stretch. 
Like what was mm -hmm. going through your mind? Like, were you cautious? Were you confident? Like, can you take us through the race a little bit? Yeah, the way the race played out it was just really crazy because my agent, when I arrived there, we had about three to four days to just chill, talk about the race, run around, you know, Central Park to see where we were going to feel towards that last last um, bit of the race. And my agent told me, Viola, if you're going to be running faster than 320, then you know you're going to suffer at the end. So I was really cautious of that. I kept looking at my watch. Every time I felt that the pace was fast, I would look if it's 318, 3, 3.15, I would hold on. And if it was going to be anything faster, that fast for more than 2K, then I would I would, I would uh, drop back to 3.20. So the beginning, I think it was around 3.25, something like that. Because of, of that long reason, it, it went by so fast. From what I heard, a lot of people said, it's a long one. And it felt long when we were driving past it towards uh, the tent where we went to warm up and do uh, and get ready for the race. But then coming back up, I think I had talked to Paris and she's like, Viola, the way you're going to run this race, don't look up. Just look on everyone's feet. And, you know, just follow, go with go with the floor. Don't look up. If you look up, you'll realize that the hill is just halfway. So just look down, go with everybody. When you finish the hill, then you start to walk. So I just did that. And I was like, oh, my God, it ended so fast. And I think I just had a perfect day, to be honest, because I felt great from the beginning to the end. And I think it's just been because I have trained myself to endure the pain, especially on the hilly long runs. I would look at myself in New York, running over this big hill in New York. So I have to hang with everyone. So I practiced it in training. So when it came to a race, I just kept talking to myself. This is easy. I've done this. It's, it's even easier than the one that I've done in Kenya. So I just have to keep hanging. But when Paris dropped that pace around, I think 25, I looked at my watch and I think we were going around 310, 309. And I'm just thinking, there's no way I'm going to finish this race. We are only halfway. So I need to drop back to my normal pace, 318, 315, if it's really fast, but I have to slow down. So I, I, I let them go. And I think if, you, if they showed a little bit of that, there was a conversation between me and the lady from Namibia. She wanted to go with them. And I told her, you know what? You need to hang with me because if you kill yourself too early, there's a big hill coming towards the end. So let's, let's play catch up. They're going to fall back because it's too early in the race. Let's just go. So I told Sally, let's go. Sally told me, Viola, I'm not feeling good today. Just, you know what? Just, just go, go with them. So I dropped back. Molly was ahead with the two Ethiopians and Paris. And then, yeah, there were four ahead of me. So we got up to, to Molly and then I passed Molly. And then I saw one of the, I think Rutiaga had fallen back a bit from the group. And I said, you know, I don't want to be a lone runner. I just want to catch up with her so I can run with her. I'll end up in the top five on a good day because it was, first of all, a shock to me that I was still there at 25K. So to me, I'm like, you know what? If anything goes wrong, I'm, I might end up in the top five, which is still going to be really great. So I went there, ran with her, but she was falling back and I was feeling good uh, on the pace that I was going and I didn't want to slow down on like, cause I felt like I was going good. My pace was good. So I went there, she wasn't going. <laughs> and then I saw Paris and, and I can't remember her name. They were ahead of us. And I told myself, once I, I finished this uh, big bridge coming up, 
I would try to see if I can catch up with them. And, you know, they're not too far. So I could give myself a chance to run with somebody until maybe at least 30K. So I went up that hill and they had slowed down. I caught up with them. And Paris is like, oh, my God, you caught up with us. And I said, yeah, you know what? I just didn't even know how fast I was coming. I thought you guys were going to keep the pace. And then she told me, is this pace OK? I told her, yeah, let's keep the pace that I'm, I was coming for with in the back and see how far we can go. If I can get to 30K with you guys, then I'm going to be OK. I might end up in the top three. So we just kept talking. She, we would hit a point where there was a, a slide uphill and she would be like, are you still OK? And I'll say, yeah, I'm still good. Let's just keep the pace going. I'm, I'm really happy with the way I'm feeling. And if you see on the videos, we, we, we talked a lot. She would be like, okay, I'm going to grab my water now. So be cautious. Don't trip on somebody because we had the, the, our bottles. I didn't know where the other Ethiopian ladies' bottles were, but I knew Paris came first and then mine. So she would have to go ahead. So we just kept talking, running. And my brother had told me, you know, my brother ran here in New York. Was it 2018? yeah 2018 so he ran in new york and we spoke the day before we went through the map and everything and um so we um <laughs> we went through uh the race uh plan with my brother also after i spoke with my agent and he said the exact same thing he told me when you hit that central park even before central park when you hit was it second second avenue or first avenue something like that first Ave, it's yeah. good first half he said it's was it which one is the fastest fast oh sorry the first half is fast flat. the yeah. that's first fifth is the fifth is the climb yeah. yeah yeah so he was telling me when you hit first everybody's gonna go really fast because it's a flat there are people cheering you're gonna mm. feel great but then now you will turn to fifth and that's where the walk starts and when I got there, I was still feeling good. And I'm just telling Paris, oh, my God, I can't believe we're on Fifth Avenue already. We are, we're going to hit Central Park soon. So we told the other Ethiopian lady, you know what, let's walk together. Go in front also so that, you know, we can all finish this race faster. Keep pushing a little bit. And she was nice. She went, she pushed a little bit, but I think she was feeling the lactic also. But to be honest, I think I just had the perfect day that day. I just felt really good from the beginning to the end. And I haven't processed it yet. I haven't watched the race. I'm just, I'm just letting it settle first because I haven't even had time. I got here and we were celebrating. We we're just having a good time. But, you know, getting to Central Park, I was like, I ran here yesterday. And we, we, my agent was biking along me and he's like, remember, one hill, one slope, big downhill like that. So <laughs> I would get there and I'm like, one big hill is done. Now it's a small slope and then a big downhill. And then you know what? We're going back to uh, South, South Central Park, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then towards the finish. So, yeah, it played off just the way we wanted. And I think also uh, Agnes was looking out for me because when it got tough at some point when I was alone by myself, I'm like, you know what, Agnes, this is for you today. I'm running for you. I want you to get me through this, this big hill. And we're just going to do so great. I thought I was crazy talking to myself in a race, but I think that also helped because I had her in my heart and I was running for her that day. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Like, let's talk about what's been going on in Kenya and East yeah. Africa after we heard of Agnes's horrible murder. Um, yeah. Agnes Tarap, one of the best 10K runners in the world. Viola, did you know her well? And also, like, what... 
what have you been doing? Um, what have the women been doing over there since this has happened? I've seen a lot of speaking out and a lot of yes. um, action taking place, which is good. Yeah. Uh, so I knew Agnes from, I can't trace back exactly. I think it was around 2015 or 14. I was new in, uh, as a professional athlete, I went to the last race in Europe and it was the last race of the season. I think it was Rieti. And she so my agent here told me to run a three cages because, you know, if I run good, I'll probably have a contract at this point. So I was like, oh, wow, that is really good. So I went there and ran that race. And she was there before warm up. She was just sitting there by herself. I would go say hi. Hi. She, was, she didn't even have hair. She, I knew she was from high school because in high school in Kenya, you sh- we shave our hair. We don't keep hair. But there are schools that allows that now. So I knew she was really young. So I asked her, where's your shoes? She's like, in the bag. How about your uniform? In the bag. So I told her, okay, let's go warm up. And then you know what? 30 minutes before we have to dress up. That way you're not late to get to the, to the start of the race. So I knew her from there. And this little girl beat me in a race. I think she was second or she even won that race, you know? And that's how I knew her. And I admired her for being so young and brave enough to run against uh, older athletes who probably had, uh, I think the Bible was there or somebody, and they were good athletes, but she wasn't afraid to run with them. So since then, I've just respected her as an athlete and I loved her because she was a nice, sweet girl. She just smiled. She's nice to everybody. She she to- she doesn't talk much, but she would should be really nice to everyone. And then also in Iten, when I started running, remember when I told you I went to Kenya to train after I got injured? I joined her group and she was training with uh, Chep Tai. So it was a, a little bit of a competition when I went there because they were both 5,000 5, athletes. But to me, it was a lot of help. So both of them, they were really passionate about, you know, running faster than the other one in training and then also showing off during uh, Diamond Leagues or Kenyan trials. So that's how I also knew her. And that's how we gave her the nickname. I think if you saw in my uniform, there was a, it says Situmbulu. Situmbulu is a, is a Luya, a tribe in Kenya. And basically it's a girl with big muscles. So that tribe is known to like women with bigger muscles, especially big calves. So we used to call her Situmbulu because she, she wasn't small for a runner, like uh, a long distance runner or an average runner in Kenya. Most people are really skinny like me except for a few, like, you know, uh, Faith Kipiagon, she's not that small, but everyone else is really small. So we named her Shitumbulu. And we would say that behind her back when we started. And then after that, we are like, you know, we actually gave you a nickname. And she would just be laughing and smiling <laughs> because she, she thought we were crazy. And then I trained with her for like a year. And that and that's after what 2018. Then I moved to another to another group, and then also I met her in. I would meet her in Diamond Leagues when I go to races, and she would still be nice, quiet, don't say much. But I always loved her. My husband really loved loved her for the person that she was. She was a nice person. I I think maybe also because I always said good things about her. And everyone you met would say, oh, Agnes is so nice. You know, we are rooting for her to win the Diamond League or World Cross Country or um, Olympic, things like that. And then we, when I went to Germany, that was a month before she was murdered. We went to Germany uh, to Adidas. They had an event for Adidas athletes. And that's where she broke the 10,000 uh, 
um, world record. And she came in at night and I'd arrived there a day during the day or a day earlier. And she saw me, I was going to my room and she said, hey, Viola, how are you doing? So I walked up to her, we hugged and I told her congratulations on uh, doing really well this season, especially in the Olympics. After coming back from a big injury, you're doing great. I'm so proud of you. She was also telling me the same thing. And we just, you know, caught up with life back home and running, family, stuff like that. And then we raced and we came back to Kenya. And we were the last one to be picked up at the airport, to be picked up at the airport in Kenya. And my husband came and I told him, you know what, maybe we should give her a ride. Because first of all, my husband had never met her, but he always saw her on TV. So he was really excited. I told him, do you want to see who, have you ever seen Agnes in real person? He's like, no, I would love to meet her. So I told him, okay, I'll go call her so you can say hi. Because so I, she- I went. Would she be like a star? She would have been very yes. well known. Yeah, yeah she's known by everyone. Like my husband would see her on TVs, but she you would not see her on the streets of Eldoret or anywhere. She would just train in the tent and she would limit her travel to town. Mm-hmm. And that's how much she really loved and took her running seriously. So I called my husband and she's like, yeah, I'm, um, so I told her my husband is a big fan of yours. So she came and gave him a hug. And my husband was so happy. We went home. He was so happy. My husband is like, I love this girl. I know she's going to do really great. And so we asked her if we could give her a ride because she was the only one left at the airport at this point. And she said, no, the person picking me up is almost here. So I'm okay. So we left. And then a few days later, somebody, uh, I was home. Somebody sent me a message and he's like, Viola, what is happening in the tent? There are bad things happening. And I said, uh, what is going on? Like, is it like uh, somebody tested positive for uh, for drugs or something like that? Because that's the big news in Kenya. When it happens, everybody calls you about it. Hey, Viola, have you had so-and-so? Oh, this is really bad. So he called me and he didn't say anything. And I said, you need to tell me because I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, okay, let me just send you a message to confirm this thing. And then just confirm for me. And he sent me a picture of Agnes with her Olympic uniform. And I was like, so? I didn't even read the message underneath that. I was like, so? That is Agnes. She she just broke the world record. Didn't you know that? So I thought he was talking about her breaking the world record, actually. I was like, didn't you know that she just broke the world record? This is late news. And I was there also. I watched her. He's like, no, Viola, read the message underneath it. At this point, I'm on the phone with, the, with this guy. And he's like, read the message. So I was like, okay, hold on. I'm just going to go scroll and and look through my message. I couldn't believe it. I told him, you know what? I've had crazy things. People talk about crazy things all the time. This cannot be real. Agnes is alive. She's not sick. Nothing happened to her. Because at that point, it was just the, the, the way she died wasn't disclosed. They said she was found dead. So I told him, no, she was okay. She wasn't sick. And there's no way she didn't have any health issues. How is she dead? He's like, well, Biola, I think somebody killed her because they found her with stab wounds. At this point, I'm just, I'm losing it. I'm, I'm just running around and I was with family and friends. I'm just running around and I'm telling everybody, I just can't believe this. Like, I, I need to do something. I need to find out. And then I called a friend and he said, yeah, I'm from there. The police have just taken her body. And at this point, I just... It was unbelievable, you know? Yeah, it was awful. Yeah. I mean, we were shocked. I mean, Marielle and I both have raced Agnes um, yeah. at world championships. And, like, 
in Kenya or and in parts of East Africa, like yeah. uh, if it can happen to Agnes, it can happen to anyone, any of the women, you know, you're she's yeah. someone who we think of as having a lot of power or influence yeah. because she's a star. So yeah. like, what, like, what does that represent? Like, I know um, there's a lot of women there that are saying something more needs to be done. And yeah. um, is that something you saw growing up? I know you came over to the U.S. early, but is yeah. what was that experience like? Because you you obviously have been here probably as yeah. much as there at this point. Yeah, yeah um, growing up, I didn't even know what gender-based violence was because it was all over. I would see it from my own mom to relatives, to my own sisters. And then with my neighbors, it was everywhere. And it was so normal. Nobody even think that there was anything wrong with a husband beating up a wife, putting bruises on her face, knocking off her teeth, chopping her fingers. It didn't seem wrong to anybody. It was just, oh, the wife might have done something really bad that aggravated him and he was so upset and he snapped. And you know what? He was probably correcting her. So that was how everybody looked at it. And it was... I didn't, I didn't even think it was something bad growing up. I, I knew it was bad for somebody to hit you. And growing up, I didn't want to be married, first of all. I was like, I'm not going to live the life that, you know, I've seen this through my own, my own sisters. I've seen this through in my own home. I see my neighbors. I am not going to go through this. So it was so normal. But to me, growing up, I, I, I had something in my head that said, this is not okay. I think it's not okay. And then when I came to America and realized that women had rights and these things were actually wrong for even somebody to slap you, then I knew that was an abuse, first of all, that shouldn't have been happening. Those people should have been in jail for what they were doing because there were people that would beat their wives where they would have hemorrhages and they die from them. And then they are ruled something else that killed them when everybody knows that this person died from, from the abuse that they went through, you know? So when I came to the U.S., I realized that those are murder cases for those who died. And for those who are still surviving, those men should have been in jail for domestic violence because nobody says it's domestic violence where I come from. And it's still happening now, but I'm glad a few women are coming out and speaking about these things because it needs to be addressed. We are past, we have got to a point where our society is realizing that some things that were done were wrong and they have to be fixed before we could pass the baton to our children and it starts from me I mean my mom didn't have the opportunity to speak out about these issues because first of all probably her mother went through the same and she would probably go home to her parents because I saw this with my own mom she would go back to her parents her parents tell her you know what my daughter it happens all the time you persevere this man will change at some point you know so she would go back and then come back again and I and to me it was like why is she here the other day she was so upset you know this happened to her and why is she going back so it just kept happening like that and with Agnes it was just something that you know it broke broke, it broke me because I I know some of my sisters who have suffered in silence and the same things that came out after what happened to Agnes was exactly what was happening with my own siblings. And it made me really emotional because at that point, I'm lucky they are alive. Mm -hmm. It's only that they are, lived, they, they, they are alive at this point. 
that's the only good thing. But they've been broken by what has happened to them. And nobody knew how to fix it because by the time you, you try to fix it, it's too late. You don't even know how to start seeking for help. So I'm really sad that I didn't get to see the signs with Agnes when I was in, in Germany with her. And I think if I had seen something, I would have said something. Because usually if I see something with my own siblings, I, I try to point it out to them. I would say, do you think this is okay the way this is happening? Uh, are you comfortable with this? Because if they're not comfortable, at least they'll say something. If it's something that, you know, they used to, if it's a joke to them and their spouses, then maybe they're okay with that. But if they find that it's an abuse, then at least they would speak out. So I would, I was hoping, I just kept thinking, how, how could somebody like Agnes do so well through, after going through all that, she runs so well on track. It feels like running was the only thing that she had left. And that was the only good thing in her life that, you know, it, it went right. You know, relationship wasn't good. You've been isolated from friends and family. You don't have that uh, attachment with them anymore. You don't even have somebody to talk to. And then you keep it to yourself. And she would still smile through it all. And that's what kills me. Like, I know there are people suffering and they're smiling and nobody can tell what is going on. And that's why I'm just asking women out there, please speak out. Somebody is going to listen. I've listened. I've, I'm learning to be a, a listener. I'm listening to, I, I'm learning to be a sister to somebody who needs me. And I'm, I'm willing to do anything I can because I can't have what happened to Agnes to continue. Um, and I think I'm just, you know, it's emotional because I just got another, an, another phone call with um, friends in Kenya. And we already have somebody going through the same issue and it's tough. Yeah, I think, yeah. <clears throat> Mary, we talked to Mary Naguji a few weeks ago and she started yeah. the Women's Athletic Alliance, but that's only yeah. just getting off the ground. So we, yeah. I feel like all the women, like the case of Agnes brought it to our forefront of our attention of the women yeah. outside of Kenya. You know, this is our event. This is mm -hmm. our sport. What, yeah. for people that want to help, like what? Is there a way people can help from the outside or other women in that in the sport can help? Um, what would you tell those women? Because I know so many people listening to this will be like, what can I do right now? Like, get me, yeah. get me over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, number one, because, okay, first of all, we are um, during the funeral of Agnes. I promised her family and other women who were there and everybody that something was going to be done. So um me and other athletes like Mary Kay Chan, we have worked on um, starting a foundation in honoring Agnes and to help other victims of gender-based violence. So that that is still in process. We are still waiting for the government to issue us with the certificate for the foundation. So once we have that, at least we'll have the funds and we would give everyone the, the, the website to go and donate or the bank uh, information. But for now, before we get that, uh, that uh, up and running, I'm just going to ask everyone to be supportive. Um, speak to people, like reach out to victims. Try to help them as much as you can. If you see something, say something. Don't just sit on it. And if I will find someone that needs financial support to just get away from a situation that they're in, 
I would hope that when I reach out to everyone to support this per- this person, that they would be able to help that way. You know what? We can save one life a, the, a day. So right now, I'm going to be updating you guys. Let's stay close to uh, our sisters. Let's look out for science and try to help because I know some people like Agnes, she had gotten to a point where maybe it was okay as long as he wasn't killing her because she has had so many threats of what of her death coming but maybe it was an everyday thing that she had lost track of how many times she has she had heard it and so if somebody confides in you about something like that happening try to help for me i'm going to go back to kenya and i'm going to try to speak with the government and see what we can we can do because we need laws that protects women and children especially in kenya uh, we haven't had of anything happening to uh, perpetrators of these crimes, let's say, for example, domestic violence. There's nothing, there's no response team in Kenya for victims of domestic violence. You cannot call a police officer in the middle of the night just because your husband is threatening to kill you or beating you up with your kids and then, and then for them to show up. I've never heard of a situation like that. So that ha- is not being taken seriously and probably is because nobody knows what to do because there's no laws that have been set in place to protect them and what they have to do to do that. So when I go to Kenya, I'm going to go to, the, to speak with my local government and probably escalate this to the parliament. That way laws can be passed to protect women and children from um, gender-based violence. And also when the foundation is done, we're going to do more. Like I spoke with Mary and other women that we are going to start uh, securing places like safe places for women who want to escape from these situations and then we can protect them from there we will also have the support of local government providing us with security for example even athlete if somebody is an athlete for example going through this they'll be able to go to a safe home and then they can train from there and we'll put into consideration things like a track or a trail where they can run and still get 24 7 um, security uh, while they're there while they figure out what to do next. And we'll do a lot. We are trying to reach out to victims of uh, gender-based violence. I'm really happy to have Mary Kay Tan in the group in Kenya doing that right now. They are calling out athletes to go into groups and then, you know, talk about just issues, you know, speak up about things. And I, I have been really lucky that people trust what we are doing right now and they are willing to talk. And that's why I, I was emotional earlier because there are already a lot of women suffering. They have said what they're going through. And in my head, I'm like, okay, I, I need to do something. And it's hard when somebody hasn't made the decision to walk away. And that's what is, is hurting. It, it, it kills me inside because we can't pull them from their homes. It's, they would tell you what they're going through, but they are not ready to, to walk out of that. And, and the threats are there. It, it's evident that they've gone through the physical, emotional, and all those kinds of abuse. So, but we are tr- going to try and provide just, you know, counseling for them. We'll, we'll try to help them get uh, counseling and maybe they'll have the strength to walk away. Mm, that's so yeah. hard. I know it's hard to talk about too, but I, I hope that at least talking about it encourages other yeah. women to talk about yeah. it and then it doesn't yeah. become normal. You know, they can kind yeah. of learn from each other's stories. But so it definitely, 
I know people will hear this and want to help any way they can. Yeah, and I'm really happy that a lot of men are joining in. Also, men who ha- who hate what happened to Agnes, they are mm-hmm. calling me and telling me, Viola, what can we do? So I'm telling them, you know what? You're our brothers. Speak with men. Uh, you know what? We need to have uh, um, meetings with men and also uh, talk to them about these issues. They need to speak out also. If they have issues in their relationships, the only way, that it's not the, the only thing to do is to kill women or, or, or beat them up. There's an, another way that things, situations like, you know what, uh, breakups and stuff like that can be handled. It's not through violence. And so I'm really glad that men are joining in. And I really hope that we can work this journey with them because this is going to help us stop those who are doing this. For the men who are willing to help, we're also going to try to help also men who are going through the same situations because I know it doesn't happen to just women, but in this case, we are, we are handling women because this is happening every single day. And it starts young. From where I, I, I came from, where I come from, there are women who went to until just, you know what, fourth grade. And at that time, kids are having kids. Is that not rape? You know, and nobody talks about it. So the reason why I'm really focused on girls is because it starts young for them. And it happens a lot more than men. It's not like I'm I'm ignoring the fact that these things could happen to men, but it's that's that we need to fix women because it's it's happening at the rate where it's going to get really bad. And if we don't stop it now, it's never going to end, and we're just going to pass it to our children. And I'm refusing to pass that baton of you know allowing something like this to happen to women, and for me to have a voice and not use it it's going to be really bad when I look back at what I could have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we hope, yeah, to hear more developments on the foundations yeah. as they start, yeah. let us know. Um, and we're glad, yeah, male allies definitely will be really yeah. important in changing the game, especially yes. in Kenya. It also has been really cool to just hear, I think, from the female athlete. I don't think... We often see your uh, your results, you know, really impressed by podium finishes and times, mm-hmm. but to really see you all highlighting important issues that I think a lot of us didn't really know anything yeah. about, um, kind of just enamored by the results and not understanding a lot of what people are going through. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for, for highlighting these things. And really, if you, when you need help, if you need help, let us know mm-hmm. what we can do. I will for sure. I'll let you know because I know we are going to need the, especially financial support because we are going to make sure that we are reaching victims of gender-based violence. So for, uh, for let's say if I have psychologists or counselors going to them, we'll, that will take finances and then also securing places as a safe home for women. We are going to need that. We are also going to provide uh, financial support for those who are struggling and trying to get out because, you know, some women sit there and they don't want to walk out of a situation because they are afraid of where to start next. So we want them to be confident that, you know what, you when you walk out from this, things might get better. We'll start somewhere. We'll be able to, to uh, hold your hand until you are able to help yourself. So that is where we're going to have a lot of um, need. Uh, uh, we're going to ask for a lot of help with financial support and then also for Victims of, let's say, rape and things like that or uh, physical abuse, 
we will have to go through medical and police cases or getting a lawyer. So the, all this is going to need uh, resources. So I'm really appreciative of everybody who is willing to help right now. I'll update everyone as soon as everything is said and done, but continue supporting us emotionally. You know, if you see something, say something, reach out to victims of gender-based violence and just be supportive in general. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Viola, we like to end off our podcast usually by asking our last question, which is basically just, um, what is, is there anything that you want people to know about Viola or something about your story that you don't get asked about a lot and you want to talk about? Um, it could be anything, um, just something that you want us to know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> at this point I think a lot of people know me a lot and I am more open like right now I, I I guess nobody knew that you know what I've experienced these things firsthand especially from my own home so everybody has gone through something so I think <laughs> that's just me I just don't have anything really yeah other was, than what everybody like knows you're this is on a lighter note but I feel like you're quite the fashionista so maybe <laughs> that's maybe not something people know about you, but I feel like you're yes. I would that's, add that to your to your bio. If, that <laughs> that that is true though, because I I always think about you know what I could do after running, and everything that comes into my head is just fashion, fashion all the time. Oh yeah, I've seen your Instagram outfits every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I um. I, I, I like to look good when I when I when I can, but my career doesn't allow me 90% of the time because I'm <laughs> on my sweats. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I, I like um looking good in good clothing, you know. Well next good time makeup. Next time you, you race in New York or Boston, I'll go shopping with you after. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm on the same boat. <laughs> I would love to. That would be really great. <clears throat> Um, well, Viola, where can we see you next? Do you have anything on the calendar? Yes, I have something we're working on with my agent, my coach, and other race organizers that are interested in me racing in next year, fall and spring. So that is still underway, but um, I'll let everyone know as soon as I I have a finished plan. But I think I'm, what I know for sure, I'm going to have a half marathon in spring just to get ready or early January. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'll say January or February. I'm going to have just an easy half marathon, like the one I did in Germany, just to prepare for a marathon. And then at that point, I will know for sure where I'm running my next one. But the excitement that we got from New York is still there and it's pushing (laughs) us forward. And I think this has made me feel like I can do another marathon actually it wasn't that bad because I used to look at people I used to look at everybody running half full marathon and I'm like they are crazy there's no way well how how do you run and then how are you walking after that are you still jumping and running around with a flag and you (laughs) and then that happened to me and I'm like okay it's not that bad actually unless it's really bad when you're not winning then you're just like disappointed your legs is giving up on you but it felt great so I'm, I'm hoping to to continue with the success I'm praying really hard that God gives me the strength and you know to be injury free when I prepare for the next one nice yeah what do you have Mary? sign up for number two yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping, yeah. 
I look forward to running with you. What happened to you, Mariel? You are a 10,000 runner. Uh, here she goes now, now that she's in the marathon. She's like, why are you running so short? Yes. <laughs> Just want everyone to come come join you. Well, with a performance like that, you motivated us all. I was screaming in my room, texting. I was like, yeah. are you, is this the same 1,500 meter runner we all know? Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your story on keeping track. And we can't wait to see what you have next. Um, I think you have some definite marathon PRs in your future because my experience was that New York was actually not a very fast course. So I think you can shave some time off from even the 222. So good luck. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And it's been really great that you, uh, you know, you had me here. That way you can have your listeners listen to to me and you know support the victims of gender-based violence and just follow me on my running career also and where, get can, to that. where can we follow you can you tell people if you have social media or a website or anything like that yeah my instagram it's uh v underscore legit one the best handle the best handle that exists too legit no, no. Look, okay, I, I don't know if I have to tell you how it all started, where I got the legit. It's a, I'll, I'll put it in, in brief. So this is what happened. My coach in college, I told him why I hated running when I was a teenager. It's because <laughs> I, I feel like Mary all know this story. <laughs> Everybody made fun of my legs. When they were re- they're really skinny. And I played basketball. I looked funny in basketball shorts. So I moved to field hockey. And that's when the name came. They call my legs hockey sticks. So when I went to college, my we were just getting ready for nationals. And coach was trying to get us, you know, forget about the race. And we were just talking about anything funny. So he said, Viola, if you had a rapper name, what would it be? And I had no idea in my head. So he had seen my Twitter handle was Viola Legit. Uh, v, uh, v Legit. And he's like, Oh, your rapper man name would be Sticks Legit. <laughs> so, just, so I told him uh, that's how I actually started. Then when I got um no he like Lagat, that's Lagat, he said legit. And then I went and opened a Twitter, a Twitter page and I I had V underscore legit. And so the legit came from my coach <laughs> giving me my rapper name. <laughs> so yeah, my Instagram is V underscore legit one. You can look up Viola Lagarde or Viola Chepto Lagarde. And then Twitter, V underscore V underscore legit. And then Facebook, Viola Lagarde. Yeah, yeah. We're just, I'm very excited to keep following you and, and running and all the advocacy work that you're doing. So I'll be anxiously awaiting what this race uh, announcement will be because yeah, just excited to see you back out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited, and uh, I wish you ladies also well. I know you are, you have race future future plans for your races, and I wish you well. I hope I could race with you, ladies, in a race, and we can talk about how we are going to run together for thirty (laughs) k. I know. No, you sounded like you were giving so many pep talks during during the I know, New York I know. marathon. I was like, well, I need to like, race. <laughs> yeah, you guys worked together, and then that's probably why you ran so fast that day. So that was pretty awesome. I hope I see yeah. you in the fall, maybe in a fall marathon. That's yes. Goal. Yeah, and good luck with everything, Molly. We wish you well, also. 
this is amazing news and I, I can't wait because this is where we are all heading. And it's so nice to see someone like you, you know, embrace it, you know, you're going with the flow and then also have future plans. That yeah. used to not happen with our older sisters back then. It used to be almost the end of a career, you know. So this mm-hmm. is really encouraging to see what you are doing right now during your off time from running. You're still being active and you're showing everybody that you can handle that during your your, your pregnancy period. And it's it's a good time of your life. So you, you're going to be a parent. And that's what we all wish that, you know, one day we can go through and have a smooth sail on that time during that time. So we want to wish you well. And uh, we can't wait to have you out here running with us again. <laughs> Thanks, Viola. I can't wait. Yeah. I know. I'm getting lots of tips from people that have done it before me. So it's a whole new yeah. world out here. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And Mario, uh, you should have been in, 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 in that full marathon. So please hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's over now. No worries. <laughs> I'm going to use your stubborn will and say, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, nice. Viola. Thank you for having me, ladies. It's been nice. Have a good weekend. Bye. You too. Bye. I love it. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. One time. Yeah. Yeah. Keep track. Keep track. One time. Yeah. 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 Keep track. You already know the track. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!